0: Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom, I'm Liam Geraghty. So organizations need to offer customers breakthrough products, services, and solutions to effectively compete in today's innovation-hungry economy. The challenge is customers often don't know precisely what they want. As Henry Ford is reputed to have said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. So how do you surprise and awe your customers? Well, today's guest, Chip Bell, advises developing co-creation partnerships with them. Chip is the author of Inside Your Customer's Imagination, Five Secrets for Creating Breakthrough Products, Services, and Solutions. And Chip, you're very welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Liam. I'm excited. That's going to be good. <laughs> Before we get into the nitty gritty of it, how did you get into the world of customer service in the first place?
1: Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> it's been a long time ago. But I've always been passionate about the customer ever since I was young. And so I got an opportunity to study about customer service in college, graduate school, and so forth, and worked with an organization where I focused on helping them develop strategies around how do you build long-term relationships, which we'll get to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so many years ago, I started my own company to help other organizations. Working with one company was fine, but it was boring to me after a while, so in my role, I get to work with a lot of different organizations, which means I get to learn a lot, which I enjoy doing, and and then bringing the experience learned from one organization to another. And so it sort of cross-pollinates the opportunity to share knowledge. So and I've been doing it long, many, many years, and it's been a great ride. I love it.
0: I'm just imagining you like a little uh, a bee flying around to all these different yes, companies. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> So, like I said in the intro, in order to surprise and awe your customers in this book, you recommend developing this co-create partnerships with them. What is a co-creation
1: partnership exactly? And and how do you go about creating one? Well, here's sort of the backstory behind that. We already do co-create experiences. I mean, you know, if you think about it, unlike the customer buying a product, somebody else made it, somebody else designed it, somebody else put it there and you come pick it up and buy it. And so it's really not a relationship with the product, although Harley-Davidson's people would say different, but nevertheless, but when it comes to service, you co-create the experience with the customer. I mean, that's, it, it happens in the moment. You can't stockpile it. You know, you can't predict exactly how it's going to be like you could on an assembly line, making a product, an object of some sort. And so it, it's a very different kind of where the relationship matters. So, it's already a partnership, but what happens is organizations too often treat the recipient of their service more like a consumer than a partner, than a co-creator. So what I have found is when you change that paradigm and begin to look at the customer as truly a partner, meaning their participation and inclusion is very critical, meaning the way in which I communicate is very different, all of those things change and, and what happens is because the customer feels this different, senses this different relationship, not just as a transaction, but a relationship, they're more apt to participate in an imaginative way. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever considered this and thought about? So they contribute to your innovation in ways that they wouldn't if they were simply a consumer. I don't call up HP and say, you know, have y'all ever thought about making a printer like this? You know, but I can tell you when I go through a McDonald's and I don't deliver the experience, I can say, next time you might want to try doing it like this, you know. Mm -hmm. So I do participate more readily. You know, I talk to my HP, but it doesn't say anything back to me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so how would you define you know you mentioned the the breakthrough product or service how how do you define that the breakthrough
1: i call it breakthrough when it's unexpected when it's unpredictable when it's wow that's different that's unique and it may be not necessarily breakthrough in the eyes of the organization but in the eyes of the customer it's very different i'll give you example my wife has a new car and she loves this new car and traded in her old car, got a new car. And a week after she had her car, she turned on the radio for the first time and discovered they had programmed in her radio stations from her trade-in. Oh, wow. That's not something you'd expect. That that was something totally unique. And it was something very easy to do, simple. But it's something now she talks about. She doesn't talk about her car. She talks about the radio. (laughs) And so in much the same way, for her, that was sort of breakthrough it was like, whoa, that's different. That's unexpected. So I think it's in the eye of the beholder, but basically we're trying to say, how do I create a, if the customer thinks it's breakthrough, it's breakthrough. So.
0: Yeah. Especially because sometimes those can be really tricky to, you know, get right yourself. Those radios, I stay away from them. (laughs) Yeah. So in the book, you share like five secrets, I suppose, for creating these breakthrough products and services. And the first of which is is curiosity and you really emphasize the importance of curiosity in, you know, developing a deep connection with the customers. Could you share like some examples of how a company can, you know, cultivate curiosity within its customer service team, you know,
1: to enhance those relationships? Exactly. Well, I think if you approach the customer inquiry with an air of curiosity, like, I don't know the answer and you know the answer and I want to discover the answer with you, That's a curiosity attack rather than, I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway, and you'll tell me what I already know or what I hope you'll know. But it's a whole different frame. And I don't accidentally start the book with curiosity because I think it is the foundation for everything, particularly in the relationship with the customer, is demonstrating that intense interest, desire, and with an air of discovery. And that's a critical aspect. And one of the examples I use in the book, which to me is a pretty good example around how you demonstrate curiosity with a customer and its outcome. I was working with a major pizza delivery company. And this is a company you don't, I won't call the name, but you would know they're international. I mean, they're, they're, they're all over the world. The company asked us to help better understand the customer. And so we went in doing focus groups and asked the usual questions. And frankly, after doing a number of focus groups, we were getting kind of bored because we were asking the same questions we already knew, getting the answers we were expecting. And we go, maybe the next one, let's try something different. Let's just ask some weird questions. (laughs) And so we did. We started asking what we call came to call dreamer questions. What is something the pizza delivery company could do that nobody's ever done? And now you put the customer in a different mode of going, well, have you all thought about doing this? And you're approaching it from the standpoint of we're interested in discovery with you. And so somebody in the audience on one occasion said, the box. Have y'all ever thought about doing something with a box? And we go, the box? Yeah, you know, I get the piece in a box. And guess what I do with the box after I throw it away? Have y'all ever thought about doing something with a box? We go, well, what'd you have in mind? Well, you can figure out a way where the inside cover of the box you could use for a puzzle or a map or a I could cut it out for a Halloween mask or uh, it could be all kinds of things. And and so we go, oh, man, we're on to something. Let's ask other questions like that. when I mean, we were learning all kinds of stuff. And sure enough, uh, years later, I'm working with a major paper manufacturer and they happen to make the boxes for this worldwide pizza delivery company. <laughs> and sure enough, on the inside, you know, find Waldo or, you know, something <laughs> you can do, you know, find a puzzle or all kinds of stuff were on, inside and what they'd simply done is cover the inside with plastic. So even though it was covered over a pizza, it didn't affect the that's inside. Box, you know, and so it's simple, but, but it, nevertheless, it's that kind of discovery that you're seeking. And I think you only acquire that with a customer by approaching it with this intense curiosity. So that's an example of ask questions that you don't know the answer to ask questions that may not get you anything, but may surprise you with what you learn. And you know, there there are lots of other examples, but it can go on the other side of what's something about our product or service that you wish were otherwise something you think's there. And so for example, Starbucks asked that question a lot of customers who were buying their coffee and they were particularly buying the coffee to go. And so transporting coffee after it's poured in the cup, the lid's put on it, because you know it's got that little hole in there mm-hmm. in the top of it. And people would say, I t- so many times I'm trying to transport and I get hot coffee on my thing through that hole. And they go, hmm, wonder if we could figure out a way to seal that hole. And, and that way the customer can take it out and they could use it as a stir or something like that. It was a customer's concept that led them to come up with those little swizzle sticks that they put in that little hole that seals it and you can use it as a stir. So it's sometimes it may be looking at what is the product not doing that you would like it to do. What is a something that the service or products has that leaves you confused? You yep. know, Hampton Inn did a cool thing. Hampton Inn is a chain of hotels and people sometimes travel with their spouse or a significant other and you got coffee in a room and you make coffee and if you happen to be somebody who makes your coffee like your spouse or significant other, you end up saying, is this my cup or yours? So <laughs> what they said, well, what if we did it different? What if we made the cup? So one cup had like a mustache on it, and the other one had like lipstick, like somebody kissed the side of it. <laughs> and so they're, they don't look the same. And now I've given a cue that would keep the customer from going, is this my cup or yours, mm-hmm. when you've got two people in the same room making coffee the same way from that little machine in your hotel room. So it's looking at like that. Sometimes it may be solving a problem.
0: That's brilliant. I, I love the fact that you're kind of pooling your customer base. It's like, it's yeah. like entering this hive mind. Yeah. And it's kind of like, why wouldn't you use it? Exactly. You talk about this idea of grounding. So I, I suppose about aligning customer needs and hopes with a company's mission and values. Like how can organizations identify and communicate this alignment to create, you know, a high performance collaboration with the customers.
1: Well I think part of it is knowing and this is where a lot of companies miss the mark. We all know about we need a mission statement and we need a core purpose and they, they all of that. But they don't boil it down so you get the essence and then the essence drives everything you do, whatever that essence may be. And it's trying to, th- to make sure you're clear on that essence, clear on that core mission. You know, people say in elevator speech. I say, what if you could do your whole mission in three words? Three words. You're limited to three words. Now, what does it sound like? I worked with Wrangler, the manufacturer of, of jeans, a long time ago. And, and they said, oh, we've got ours down real clear. Kick Levi's ass. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it became a mantra, and it drove their whole competitive strategy about how we can out-Levi-Levi. Levi. And I wouldn't recommend one like that, but I'm just saying it is boiling it down to your essence. And and then from that platform, that, that core essence of who you are, if you could get it down to three words, what does that really say? It, then that becomes the platform on which you approach the customer to say, How can we find a way that serves your needs and is in sync with our core who we are? And so that way you don't create stuff that you go, well, this is kind of off. Why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. It keeps you aligned and keeps you focused. And that's that's the most important thing, particularly when you are trying to invent with a customer, you don't want to lose sight. What is our core focus here? And so I, I think of it from that standpoint, one of the examples I use in the book is I live on a golf course, beautiful golf course on a lake. And the easiest, shortest hole on the 18-hole golf course is, I think it's like, it's a par three. I think it's only about 300 yards. So it's not very far, but you're playing over the water. And it's the most challenging hole until you learn, forget about the water. You know, just focus on the pin which is not that far away, and just forget about the psychological aspect of your playing over water. But the people who run the golf course tell me, you know, if you're looking for extra golf balls, they're all around the base of that. You know, they fall in the water because people get distracted. Well, to me, it's sort of like be the customer, and that keeps you focused grounded, but especially if you know where you you stand. That's the grounding piece, knowing who you are. And then making sure it's in focused and aligned with what customers require.
0: That's great. And like trust, I suppose, is is you know a vital element in any customer relationship. We all kind of are familiar with that. I suppose could could you share some like tips on how companies can actively become like almost custodians, you know, of the customer relationships to build and maintain that trust?
1: Well, I think it starts with, and one of my favorites is the truth, is truth telling. Because if you look underneath, Lindberry, who's one of the greatest researchers in the field of customer service, said the number one attribute of great customer service is reliability. I mean, you can scrape away everything else, but bottom line, does it come down to keeping the promises you make? And from that, customers derive trust. I can count on them. I can trust these. They do what they say. But an element of that trust is, are you honest with the customer? Are you completely honest? And what honesty does truthfulness does, truth telling does to the customer relationship is at an ethereal level, it's purity, but at its basics level, it's about, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I can be who I am. I can be vulnerable with you because you're, you're always going to be honest with me, always going to be trust. And we have lots of examples in our world where the company doesn't tell the whole truth or they act in a way you go, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And your gut tells you it's not right. And i give you an example. One of my favorite, in fact, I just wrote an article about it for Forbes, about truth telling. And I suspect where you are, you have the same scenario. You pull up to a fast food restaurant and they say, it's going to be a few minutes. Would you mind pulling over to the side? We'll bring your order out to you. And you go to a parking lot and you park there. Now, think about that. Why are they moving me over there? they're moving you over there because you're messing up the time you spend in the drive-in their numbers but once it's given the company is a false read if you said no nope, I'm just going to sit right here and you prepare my meal and then hand it to the to the window because that way you get a true honest sense of the wait time I'm experiencing and you may get bad numbers and that gives you the incentive to fix your system but no. We don't want to do that. We don't want to mess up our wait time numbers. So we're going to send you to that parking lot. You wait out there. We'll bring the order out to you, which is terribly inefficient for somebody to have to bring your order all the way out across the parking lot to you when they could just hand it through the window. But look what's driving it. What's driving it is a number and the number is not real. So, I mean, that's an example of a subtle. Another example I use in the book is the You know, on-time arrival really means not really on time. It's not like really it's 15 minutes. You've got a 15-minute window to be still call on time, okay? Because I've asked asked the pilot, well, you know, on-time means within 15 minutes of the time you're supposed to arrive. Can you imagine? You remember my fair lady? Oh, yeah. Get me to the church within 15 minutes of the wedding? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. So there's – of a fudge factor that you go, wait a minute, it's not really on time. You said you were going to land at 414 and it's, you know, 424, you know, so okay. <laughs> that's what I'm saying.
0: The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You write about this thing called daredevil learning. And in my head, I'm imagining someone, you know, on a unicycle going across a tightrope and a canyon
1: (laughs) while they're trying to learn. (laughs) What is it? Really, daredevil learning is, and I think there's a certain element anyway there, but it's heightening the fact of it's risk-taking. You know, if you looked upon risk-taking, not as I'm just taking a chance, but rather I am learning. I'm taking risks that I learn. Now, you've sort of given the customer permission to what do we, try new things, try things different, working together in a partnership, try things different, whatever, you know. And so it's, it's really reframing learning to say, let's take risk. Because the essence of learning is I can't do it perfect. I can't master it the first time. I'm always making mistakes. And so customers don't want to make mistakes in front of you. Well, employees don't either. And so, but if I approached it from the standpoint of we're taking risks together, it's, this is fun. We're, we're learning. We're taking risks. And so it's reframing it. And I'll give you an example. I used to do work with Harley Davidson when Rich Tierlink was the CEO. Uh, He was a great guy, great CEO, but he would start every meeting with, here's something I screwed up on this week and what I learned from it. And then he'd ask his people, now, what'd you screw up on this week? And here again, that's daredevil learning. What'd you screw up on this week? Well, I screwed up on this, but look what I learned. And so it was always giving leadership permission to say, when we make mistakes, we learn. And so again, that's part of the reframing it so yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Isn't that great? We're so excited we get an opportunity to make mistakes. Yeah. Dare to have a learning. I love it. Before we wrap up, I, I can't let
0: you go without asking how you see AI and customer service working together and, and how you feel about it.
1: Well, I think that's a great question. I wrote an article about three months ago for Forbes magazine. I write for them about every month, and it was all about, can AI... And ChatGBT deliver grandmother service, you know, service like your grandmother would give you. And basically, it boiled down to there are a lot of great things AI can do, but it can't feel my pain. It can't show true empathy. So there are sides to it that are wonderful. There's going to be important, and I'm, I'm excited about AI and what it can do. But there are human elements. That are a part of relationship. You know, in the crazy way to say it is, do you think AI'd make a great wife? (laughs) And the answer to that is obviously no. I mean, in terms of AI doing a lot of my chores or a lot of my helps or what they can do, it can do a lot of wonderful things. It can be brilliant, but it cannot, at the end of the day, demonstrate the kind of human emotions that customers come to value as. Core of a personal relationship, and so I think it has limitations, and I think it will always have limitations. I've done a lot of research around what it can do, what it's predicted to do, but at the end of the day, it can't be human. It can simulate human, yeah. but it can't really be human. So that's. I think we accept it as as it is as a great tool. Use it in that way, the most beneficial, but never forget there are things that only humans can do if. If the goal is a relationship,
0: mm. yeah. And I suppose it's knowing when to hand over to yeah. humans, yeah. you know, who can tackle those, you know, emotional or difficult sure. or challenging kind of queries yeah. that, you know, they might be given.
1: You remember 2001 Space Odyssey? Oh, and the yeah. Two, two astronauts were able to defeat Hal, not <laughs> because they could outsmart him, they couldn't. Out thinking, they couldn't, but they could respond in a way that was creative. And yeah. so that's what I'm saying. There are those aspects of humans that need to be left to humans. That's how I view it.
0: <laughs> and a great movie to end on as well. Uh, and lastly, where can people go to keep up with you and and you know, and your work?
1: Well, uh, good. Uh, my website's chipbell.com. That's a, one I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at any rate, and you know, I've like I say, I write all the time, and that's lots of fun things. But that's probably the best way is reach me through chipbell.com.
0: Perfect. Well, Chip, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Liam. I
1: enjoyed it. It was great.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chip Bell. You'll find many more great conversations in the Intercom podcast archive. So it's always worth taking a look. And of course, we have many more great conversations to come. So join me next week for more Inside Intercom. This is Inside Intercom.